Once again, I want to say that it's a great privilege for me uh, to be able to share the word of God with you today. Let me start with a question. What do people think about Christianity? There are some caricatures in the world. Some say that it's when, you know, it's about people who are holier than thou. Others say that it's do your best and God will do the rest kind of religion. Still others say be moral and change your bad habits and then God will not punish you. But these are all gross misrepresentations of Christianity because God is much more than just your helper or someone you can bribe in. And salvation is much more than just outward, uh, of just being outwardly moral. And Christ is much more than one of your stepping stones to fullness in life. Today, I would like to talk to you about who a Christian is and what a Christian does. Who a Christian is and what a Christian does. These are two points of my sermon today. Please turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 3, and we will read together verses 1 through 11. Book of Colossians, chapter 3, and we will read verses 1 through 11. Let us hear God's word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. You know, I owe you an explanation because I can't just start preaching um, from the middle of the book. So I'll give you a little bit of a background to the epistle of Colossians. So there was a church in Colossae, but Paul, the one who wrote this epistle, is not the one who planted the church. Probably one of his disciples planted this church. But then there were some false teachers who crept into the church. And Paul obviously heard about that and addressed that. Those false teachers, we don't know who exactly they were. Probably there were some kind of Judaizers because we read in first two chapters of the book of Colossians, that they tell the Christians in the church of Colossae that there was not enough in Christ, they, that they had to add some of their works. They had to observe certain rituals, not touch certain things, not eat certain foods, be ascetic, and be aware of angelic worship. And uh, most likely, 
the, the problem with the Colossian church was that some of the new believers discovered that they're still capable of sinning. And they were stunned. And probably that's when false teachers came and said, ha, we know the problem. Uh, you are still sinning because you still need to add all these things, not doing, not touching, observing, so that you can attain to the fullness of your salvation. And that's what Apostle Paul is addressing in the epistle to the Colossians. He says that Christ is enough. For example, he says in Colossians 2, 3, that there is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden in Christ. In Colossians 2, 9, he says, uh, in Christ, the fullness of God dwells bodily. Then in Colossians 2, 10, he says that Colossian Christians have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And Apostle Paul has been doing that for the first two chapters. He was just expounding the beauties of the gospel of Christ and us being in him. And then he comes to chapter three and makes, as if I can say, uh, like a full stop. And in first four verses of chapter three, he reiterates everything that he has said in the previous chapters in just four verses. And he reminds Colossians of who they are, of who a Christian is. And that's my first point, who a Christian is. And here in first four verses of chapter three, Apostle Paul talks about resurrection, death, and glory. Resurrection, death, and glory. And if you look at this order, resurrection, death, and glory, you might think that's a very strange order. That's a very unusual order because if I would write something to some of my fellow Christians, I would probably write first about life, then about death, and then about glory, right? I mean, because right now I'm alive, and at a certain point in the future I will die, and then the glory, but not Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul writes about resurrection first, then death, and then glory. Why? Why is such an order? It's because he's not talking about physical life. He's talking about eternal life. And eternal life is a different kind of life. You see, eternal life, it's not just an endless successions of the period of time, though it is. But first and foremost, eternal life is a different kind of life. And our Lord Jesus Christ, he described that life in John 17 when he said, life eternal is to know God and the one whom he has sent. So this different kind of life, which is called eternal life, is also a Christian life. And Apostle Paul says that this different kind of life, eternal life, begins with resurrection. So resurrection is the inception of eternal life. It's the beginning of eternal life. Look with me again at verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So you see what Apostle Paul is doing? He starts from the beginning. He says, the beginning of a Christian life, the beginning of the eternal life is resurrection. It's when you've been raised 
with Christ. You see, all men and women are born dead. Yes, you heard me right. We are all born dead. Dead to pleasing God, to seeking God, to loving God. And our deadness is due to our sinfulness. We're all sinners. And we're carved in on ourselves. We, we set up our own agenda, even though God has made us for himself. But we live for ourselves. And we rebel against those laws that Jeremy just read in Exodus 20. We, just, we don't want to observe them. Why would we? I, I just want to live the way I want to live. And we discard the fact that God gives us everything for life. This breath that I'm now taking, the food that I'm having on my table, the shelter and everything else, these are all good gifts given from God so that I and you might serve God. But none of us do. We're all rebels and we rebel against God. And God has to punish our sin. He has to punish sinners because he's a just God. And the punishment against the Crime against the eternal God is eternal. But thanks be to God that he's just, but also he's merciful. And that's why he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth so that he might live the life that I should have lived and you should have lived. And he might die the death that you and I deserve. And he did that. He lived the perfect life and died a death for the sake of sinners, on behalf of sinners, so that everyone who repents of their rebellion could receive eternal life. So if you are not yet born again, if you have not been raised with Christ, my call to you right now is to repent of your sins, repent of your rebellion, repent of your agenda that you set up every day and go to the Lord. He loves to show mercy, and he will forgive everyone who comes to him in repentance. So that's what Apostle Paul is describing here when he says, you've been raised with Christ to this new life. And you see, when we are raised with Christ to this new life, we're capable of new things. In the past, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we followed the orders of Satan. That's what Ephesians 2 says. We followed our own fleshly desires, and we couldn't do anything else. But now, since we've been raised with Christ, we're capable of seeking new things. We're empowered to seek new things. And that's why Apostle Paul says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are about now you have the power and capacity to do that in the past you didn't you didn't want to do anything that is right in the eyes of god and you didn't even think about that you didn't want and couldn't but now since you've been raised with christ you can seek these things that are above what are the things that are above these are the things that are concentrated on god that are not concentrated on us. These are higher things, if I can say so. It's not just when you love someone who loves you. It's when you love your enemies. It's when you sacrifice for the sake of God, not just for the sake of someone else sacrificing something for you. 
It's a higher kind of things that you're seeking right now. And you can seek these things actively. How? By planning. By planning where you live, where you work, whom you marry, what you spend your money on, and so on and so forth. Let me give you an illustration. You know, in the past, we used to be a caterpillar who sought leaves. And now, since we've been raised with Christ, we're butterflies who seek nectar in flowers. We're a different kind of species. And that's what Apostle Paul is describing here. So resurrection is the inception of eternal life. And then he goes on and talks about death. And death is the mode of eternal life. Look with me, please, at verses 2 and 3. He says here, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For, that's the reason, because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Here's what Apostle Paul is saying. Dear brothers and sisters, you've died with Christ. And it's not just an allegory. It's not a hyperbole. It's true. You've died with Christ. And the life that you now live is life that is hidden in him. It's almost like um, you've been given a loan. Uh, your, your, your hands, your eyes, your ears, your tongue, it's been given to you again now so that you can use that for the sake of Christ. It's, it, you see, your past life finished. Now it's a new life. And it's almost like, you know, you have these new feelings, new desires, new organs almost. You've been given alone for the time being so that you could serve God, so that you can seek the things that are above, so that you can set your minds on things that are above. And you see, death is the mode of eternal life. What, 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 what do I mean by that? I mean this. We live eternal life by dying unto ourselves every day. Do you remember what Jesus said to his disciples? He said, pick up your cross, follow me. And die, die unto yourself daily. You might be asking, how, how can I die to myself? Oh, thanks, thanks for asking. Uh, there are millions of ways how you can die unto yourself. For example, stay up and uh, share the word of God with uh, a congregation that you love. It's a certain death unto yourself. Uh, when a wife cooks something for her husband that she might not really like, but she knows that he likes it and she dies unto herself and cooks it for him. Or when a husband babysits uh, his and uh, his wife's children so that she can have uh, her own time. Or when children obey uh, their parents, even if they don't understand some of the rules that they said. These are all dying unto ourselves. And here in particular in this epistle, Apostle Paul says you have to die to the desire to earn God's righteousness and fullness by your deeds, by, by observing certain things. Look, there is everything in Christ. Fullness is in Christ. He has achieved 100% of your righteousness. And you have to die onto your efforts to earn and merit salvation, to earn and merit fullness. Christ has done it all. 
So the mode of our eternal life is death. We live by dying. So the beginning of eternal life is resurrection. The mode of eternal life is death. We die unto ourselves. And then the third stage, glory. Glory is the motive of our eternal life. Look with me at verse 4. It says here, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You know, if you look at this four, uh, first four verses of chapter 3, there is so much Christ in it. Like, you know, it's almost like soaked in Christ. Yeah, you, you can't look anywhere and, uh, and not see Christ. And here, Apostle Paul does a very interesting thing in verse 4. Have you noticed that at the end of verse 3, he says that our life is hidden with Christ in God. But then, as if it was not enough, Apostle Paul says, when Christ, who is your life. I just said to you that your life is hidden with Christ in God, and it's true. But I want to tell you something more. Christ actually is your life. Huh? Isn't that something? I mean, it's amazing. I, I love how Apostle Paul describes it, and it's all true. It's not just, again, it's, it's not just a hyperbole. Do you remember when Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians said that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain? So he's not joking. All his life, and everybody's, and if you're a Christian, all of our lives is revolving around Christ, what he wants, what he has done, what he desires, who he is. And we long to see him. And you know, when he says that our life is hidden with Christ, it's, it's what he said in Galatians. In Galatians 2, when he said that the life that we now live, we live by faith in the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Again, this idea that we draw all our juices, like life juices, from the root of Christ. We're alive only by one reason. He gives us life. The sap of life flows from our root, from our head into our bodies. So let us seek the things that are above. Let us set our minds on the things that are above. And it's interesting. You know, I, I, I thought of many, many passages where it says that we're not ourselves. We've been bought by a price. And we belong to the one who rescued us. We belong to Christ. And also here he emphasizes that we seek the time. Like, you know, we, we, we long for the time when Christ will come. You see that in verse 4. He says, when Christ is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Oh, we long for that day when, we'll see, when we will see Christ as he is. Apostle John said about that in 1 John 3. He said, Beloved, we're God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, when Christ appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. He's talking about the second coming of Christ, and he says, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. That's our desire. We long to see that day. And in the light of eternity, in the light of spending whole eternity in our glorified bodies, with our glorified Christ on new earth and new heaven, in the light of that eternity, 
we can die unto ourselves. We, we, we can sacrifice ourselves. You know, I really like one illustration that I heard once in a sermon. You know, some people who spend all their life, energy, and effort on this life are like people who are sent by their company to Paris for just six months to work there. And they're given an apartment and they're given a decent salary. And can you imagine if they live there for only six months and they spend all their money on furnishing their rental apartment in Paris? They buy some um, Iranian carpets. They buy some expensive pictures, uh, some very expensive audio, home audio system. They refurbish uh, some things and they uh, refer, uh, they just um, do something, do some renovation in the apartment, like make it really nice. But then you think, why are you doing all that? Why are you spending so much time, energy and effort on something that will not last? You will return home in six months. Are you in your right mind? And some of us are doing exactly the same, spending all our time, money, and effort on this life when eternal life is awaiting for us. And I think that's what Apostle Paul is emphasizing in this verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We can't even imagine what this will be like. But it will be glorious. It will be wonderful. So that's a reminder that Apostle Paul gives us in these first four verses of who a Christian is. A Christian is the one who's been raised with Christ. He, he, he's the one who lives by dying unto himself through setting his mind on things that are above. And he's the one who anticipates like crazy the glorious vision and meeting with Christ himself. So that's who a Christian is. And then Paul continues and speaks about the outcome of this new status. He speaks about what a Christian does. And that's the second point of my sermon. So our new beings call for new doings. He says in verse 5, put to death, therefore. But before we get there, I, I just want to clarify one very important thing. Please note the order. Being precedes doing. Indicative precedes imperative. First, who you are, then what you do. Because what you do flows out of who you are. It's a gospel grammar. And we see it throughout the Bible, and we see it here in Colossians 3. And that's why I called my sermon, Call to Self-Consciousness. Because that's what Apostle Paul is doing. He will list now the things that we as Christians are supposed to do if you're a Christian. And it's basically a call to self-consciousness. It's like, you know, come to your senses. Remember who you are and live accordingly. So let's look at how we're supposed to live as Christians. First, Apostle Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. I want to remind you that Apostle Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to Christians in Colossae. Why am I reminding this? Because some Christians think that they are supposed to be absolutely sinless. Um, they are supposed to be, we are supposed to be, 
but that's not the case here on earth on this side of eternity we know we will never attain to perfect holiness we will never reach the state of absolute sinlessness we still sin be glory to but, but we glorify god that our sins uh, punishment and our sins uh vileness you know all of this punishment is not imputed onto us because it was imputed onto christ the wrath of god that is coming um on people who sin was absorbed by christ if they repented of their sins so we need to remember that we still sin uh, but the punishment for our sins the curse of our sins has been taken by christ we repent of our sins and we try to kill our sin but we're still sinning and probably as i already mentioned that was the problem of the colossian christians they thought that on this side of eternity they have to attain to the state of perfect holiness and absolute sinlessness and that's why false teachers came and said okay do this this and this and you will reach that state but no no we know that our fullness is in christ and that he will lead us and we will sin less and less but there are there will still be remainings of sin in our life and apostle paul here calls us to kill it put it to death mortify it nip it in the bud that's what he says and he says he lists the things in chap uh, in verse five and have you noticed that he calls it all idolatry he says which is idolatry i don't think that it only refers to covetousness i think it refers to all of these things that are listed here let's look with me at verse five it says sexual immorality impurity passion evil desire and covetousness which is idolatry i think all of these things are idolatry um why what what is idolatry you see idolatry is when we ascribe the worth that is only due to god to something else and i can easily see how any of these things can become idols in our culture our current culture for example worships sex uh, and i'm not talk only talking about la or us i'm talking about kazakhstan about almaty our culture here worships sex and you know it says that sex is the best thing uh, it's the best thing in life and it's safe and uh, it should be desired at all costs and approved no matter what that's idolatry culture around us ascribes such a worth to sex that it becomes an idol but paul says sexual immorality not just sex per se but sexual immorality has to be put to death how Maybe some of you are struggling with pornography. Maybe some of you are struggling with some thoughts and maybe, yeah, with sexual immorality. And maybe you were asking, how? How am I supposed to put it to death? It's not like, you know, it's not a bug that I can just kill and put it to death. How am I supposed to put to death something that I cannot touch, that is not physical? It's, it's in my head sometimes, it, of course, it will reveal itself in something that I do, but it's here. How am I supposed to kill it? Remind yourself of who you are. If you are a Christian, I call you to self-consciousness. 
See, every call to holiness is a call to self-consciousness. Remind yourself of who you are in Christ. Remember who you are and set your minds on Christ. Just imagine, would you give yourself to sexual immorality in heaven? In presence of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who died for this sin. I know even the thought is despicable, right? It's sickening to think about getting involved in some sexual immorality in heaven, in absolute glory, in the presence of our King and Savior. But that's what we do if we get involved in the sexual immorality. But you see, if you remember who you are, if you remind yourself of who a Christian is, you will kill this. Uh, the, these scenes, you, you will be able and empowered to stay away from them. Or think about passion. Passion is also mentioned here. Again, the culture around us says, just follow your desires, follow your instincts, whatever you want to do. Don't listen to anyone. Just do what you want. It's actually a recipe for a disaster. Don't do that. You can't imagine if you just want to hurt someone. Will you go and hurt them and say, oh, I just wanted to do that. No, don't do that. Don't follow your desires and instincts in every step of the way. No, follow the word of God. Check everything according to what the Lord said in his word. So these are just a couple of examples of how relevant what Apostle Paul wrote centuries ago today. I want to quote Jesus when he said that um, what's... There is no good if you get the whole world, but forfeit your soul. So things above. Think about the things above. Have you noticed that these idolatrous practices are called earthly? He said, what is earthly in you? So what is concentrated on things that are visible, that you can touch, that are here on earth? He says, put it to death. Think about the things that are eternal invisible where god is and then in verse six apostle paul says he gives another motivation and he says on account of these things the wrath of god is coming so he says put to death all these idolatrous practices because the wrath of god is coming on account of these things and some might say that's not a good motivation when you mention the wrath of god it's like demotivate demotivates me uh i i strongly disagree with you you know in our age again in our culture that tells us that everything is about motivation all this self-talk positive thinking uh what about the truth have we forgotten about the truth or what you know uh this week earlier this week uh, actually the past week yes i was reading uh martin lloyd jones one of the best preachers in the 20th century. Some even say that he was the best preacher in the 20th century. So I was reading him and he said one very interesting thing. Um, he said, if for nothing else, I would read the Bible only for its truthfulness. It's the only book in the world that tells me only truth and nothing but the truth. You know, there are so many websites, so many magazines, articles. They're just bombarding us on a daily basis, news and everything else. And 
we, we, sometimes we're just at loss. We're thinking like, you know, what, what, where is the truth? It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. And the truth is that the wrath of God is coming on account of these things. And the Apostle Paul reminds us of that. And if we're not hidden with Christ in God, we will experience the wrath of God for sure. See, he says here that God is just and righteous and he's justly wrathful with sinners. And it's only in Christ that we can find a hiding place. And so my call to you again, if you are not yet a Christian, hide yourself in Christ because the wrath of God is coming. It's true. It's, it's not just like, you know, some, some talk. It's, it's not just uh, something that is made up. No, it's the truth. Nobody would have made it up. It's the truth. The wrath of God is coming. And it's actually even abiding on those who don't believe in Jesus Christ, who do not obey him. That's what John 3 says. So hide yourself in Christ. But, you know, there, there is also another benefit to the acknowledgement of this truth that God is wrathful with sinners. When I know who God is, that he's just and righteous. And he's righteously wrathful with sinners. I appreciate his mercy and love much more. You see, if I don't know that my sin deserves the wrath of God, that it deserves eternal punishment, I would never seek his love or mercy. And even if someone would come up to me and say to me that God loves me, I would say, yeah, sure, no problem. Of course, I love myself pretty, pretty much too. I know why he loves me. No, it's only after we realize that our sins deserve eternal wrath of God. And yet he being merciful sends his one and only son who dies instead of us, on behalf of us, bearing the wrath of God and resurrects for our justification so that we might come and receive this mercy. That's when we appreciate grace. That's when we can sing amazing grace that's when we appreciate his love and marvel at it and sing songs like take the world give me jesus it's only after we realize like you know against the blackness of our sin and what it deserved seeing the beauty of his love and mercy that's when we can appreciate his love so i don't i don't agree that it's de demotivational it's it's a motivation for everyone who loves Christ. It's a motivation. So that's first thing that he mentions. And then he says, it's actually not the first, second thing that he mentions. And then Apostle Paul says, in these things, in these, uh, verse 7, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which has been renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. You know what Apostle Paul uh, is doing here? He reminds us of our past. He says, you used to walk in this terrible things. Anger, malice, obscene talk, and so on and so forth. So he reminds the Colossian Christians about who they used to be. Why is he doing that? Some people say, don't think about your past. 
God forgave all your sins. He forgave your past. Why would you think about your past? I want to say something. You see, when the Lord says that God forgot all our sins, it doesn't mean that he underwent some kind of amnesia. No, he when he's when it says that he doesn't bring our sins uh, when he doesn't remember our sins, it means that he doesn't bring them against us. He remembers them, but he does not bring them against us because Jesus paid the full price. He bore the wrath of God on behalf of us. And for us, it's healthy and right to remember from where we've come. It's, it's right for us and appropriate to be broken about our former sins. You see, it fills our hearts with gratefulness and thankfulness. And it also helps us to avoid the same sins in the future. Besides that, uh, it just testifies to the goodness of God. And it just keeps us humble. Because we remember who we used to be. And we know that we are who we are only by the grace of God. So it's appropriate for us to remember where we used to be and uh, so that we can praise God, stay away from the same sin and uh, just stay humble. And also, Apostle Paul says here that we have to do certain things. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which has been renewed in, in the knowledge after the image of its creator. It's a very important principle. You never put off something without putting something else on. It's not that you just uh, like, you know, got rid of sexual immorality without replacing it with something else. You cannot leave that space void. You have to do something else. I remember the story that Mark Dever once told uh, of a new convert who once came to him uh, during the weekend and said, now I'm a Christian and I don't know what to do. I, I know what unbelievers do on the weekends. They party and whatever. But now I'm a Christian and now this, this space of time is void. Um, what am I supposed to fill it with? But he had that desire inside of him, that instinct inside of him. I have to fill it with something else. I've put off my old self, and now I have to put on the new self. What am I supposed to do now? It's, it's very important to remember that. And what are we putting on? Oh, the things that are above. Serving others, praying to God, meditating on his word, evangelizing, and, and just Living a regular life for the glory of God. And let us look at the final, uh, at the final verse, uh, verse 11. We'll look only at uh, these verses today from 1 to 11. So here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Why is Apostle Paul finishing like this? And he's, it's, it's just the end of the section because the whole section goes all the way to verse 17 because after that, he will talk about the things that we're supposed to put on. We just don't have time to look at all of this today. 
but the whole section is from verse 1 to 17. But here, why does he end this first, if I can say, paragraph uh, with this? Like, you know, here there is not Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, but all in and all is Christ. I think it's very appropriate. Because you see, when you think about how am I supposed to have power to put all these things to death, it all goes back to our identity. It all goes back to our identity. Our life is the life of um, battle, if I can say so. It's a war between identities. Who are you? You see, if watching pornography makes someone feel loved, that's what their identity is because they think, okay, that's what makes me loved. That's who I am. That identifies them. If letting yourself uh, do whatever you want, like, you know, just, just being angry when you feel like being angry, just letting them have it. If that's who you are, if that's what gives you significance, that's your identity. Where do you find your love? Where do you find your significance? Where do you find your worth? That's your identity. And you see, if you've been raised with Christ, if you've died with him, if you're looking forward to the glory, then you will live accordingly. That's your identity. That's who you are in your inner being, in your core being. Like, that's who I am. I'm in Christ. My life is Christ. Then you will live according. That's why Apostle Paul finishes like he finishes. He says, he basically reminds them again of who they are. And he says, Christ is all in all. Don't think about, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm free. I'm, I'm slave. That's what identifies me. Oh, my, my ethnicity identifies me. My, my work identifies me. My, 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 my this identifies me. No, no, no. Our first and fundamental identification is I am Christ. He is my Lord. I am in him and he is in me. And I want to finish with this. I want to tell you that none of us, if you're a Christian, will miss anything in, in, in heaven with Christ. There, there won't be any time in heaven when any of us would say, ah, I wish I would just get more involved in just you know, some of the sexual immorality or, uh, or lying to someone else. Oh, I should have lied to that guy. <laughs> no. All of us will be perfectly content in the glory of the presence of our Lord. And that's where we're looking for. And that's the motive of our eternal life. That's why we can die unto ourselves and put to death all of these things. So, dear brothers and sisters, may I finish in prayer. I love you, and I hope that this message encouraged you uh, and to live out who you are in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for saving us and putting us in Christ. We're in him, and he's in us by his spirit. We've been raised with him. We live by dying unto ourselves and we're looking forward to being with our Savior in glory. May this truth 
transform our daily lives so that we can put to death all these earthly things that are still in us. May we live to your glory. We pray all these things in the name of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. In the name of Christ, amen.